guys, welcome to episode 61 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at fanbolt.com. I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of Last One to Leave the Theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And we have two sets of interviews today, and then we're going to dive into uh, talking about Despicable Me 3 and my favorite film of the year so far, Baby Driver. Um, yeah, so... I think it's, just... it's going to be a lot of our favorite films of the year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I have a poster up on my wall now from, from it, and uh, you can also, if you are as in love with the poster as I am, you can win one for... Uh, I think it's up for like the next two weeks, the contest on FanBolt, so you can enter to, to win one. Uh, is it the uh, the montage poster or the, the gun? It is. The car coming out of the gun? It's montage. the montage poster, so it's the pink the pink poster. I think that's the well, main they're, poster. They're both they're both pink. Yeah, yeah. that's pink. That's the main poster, though. Because I don't I haven't looked at my poster since I uh, since I got it at South by, and I just know it's pink, but I don't know which one it is. Everything about that film is pink. Actually, I have the soundtrack in front of me right now, and it's it's pink. It's pink. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the montage poster. Nice in in square soundtrack form. Well, um, I guess that's kind of a perfect transition talking about the color pink into uh, our first interview, which we're going to, I guess, go ahead and jump into because we didn't have a lot of small talk this week. Um, We'll have some small talk next week because we're all going to be spending the 4th of July together and I'm sure shenanigans will ensue, but... Plus plus, uh, uh, the bowling. Bowling, yes. And we have Comet Cosplay next Monday night, um, which we'll tease again at the the end of the episode. But it is Spider-Man themed, and we are going to have a Spider-Man review next week, too. So, um, And I think the embargo is already up, so we can say that it's awesome, right? Like, it's it's pretty awesome. From what I've heard... Yeah, I I saw it, and uh, it is. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of humor. Um... Uh, Tom Holland is is really good in it, um, and Michael Keaton makes a nice villain. Nice. Um, well, we would have been there last night, but Matt and I were at a networking event, and uh, that was that was a pretty fun event. It was actually an influencer marketing event, and I was uh, on the panel as the influencer with a couple of other brands that do influencer marketing, and we kind of just talked about how all of that is is changing and. Um, one thing that's even kind of interesting, not to, to dive too much into this, but kind of the evolution of where, um, you know, the people that run sites are becoming more of the brand than the sites itself. And I talked a little bit about that with Fanbolt is actually more of a platform for me now and the brand is more me. Um, but that was kind of interesting to see. And I think Matt's Matt's starting to see that a little bit, too. He did yeah, a, no, did yeah, a no, real that was... campaign. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I like I loved Everywhere Agency. That's the uh the marketing brand influencer agency that we we work with. And um yeah, last night was a lot of fun, you know. You did a a really good job specifically saying about how you've become the brand. I I enjoyed that. That was a nice point you made. So I would have I would have liked it also, but I was <laughs> watching a movie cuz I'm a film critic. Typical Mike. Typical Mike. Mike doesn't do anything but watch movies, which is, you know, we're going to, it's going to be interesting when we go to Comic-Con here in a few weeks and we see what Mike does when he doesn't have film screenings all day. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of drinking. Yeah. 
Fair enough, fair enough. I think there actually is a film festival at Comic-Con. I've never gone to it, um, but I think... I think there is like a, a small film festival component to it. So I know they've screened films at Comic Con because like I always hear of like secret screenings that they do every year, and it's yeah. usually some kind of big upcoming movie. So yep, they'll knows? do that we'll and they'll they'll screen a lot of pilots too. And we've watched a few more pilots, although I don't think any of them are technically labeled for review. I think they're very specifically labeled not for review. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will I will say that we watched uh, The Resident, uh, The Good Woo! Doctor, and Ghosted, all of which I really like. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see them. The Resident um, films here in Atlanta. I think it's going to be a mid-season show, so they're not currently in production, but um, they will be back here in a couple weeks or a couple months to start filming on that, and um, that one was pretty good. The Good Doctor, though, with Freddie Highmore uh, is really good. I really, really liked that one. That was the only one I really liked. I'm not big on the so, other two. See, mine, uh, I, was, I was a fan of The Resident the most, followed by Good Doctor and then Ghosted. Um, yeah, Ghosted, I, I think, is going to be... I think it's going to get better as it goes. I think it's one of those things yeah. with traditional comedy pilots. It's You've got a lot you've got to set up, and so maybe the, the actual humor or the feel of the show doesn't always come across in the pilot, but, like, a few episodes in, like, you're in love with it. Yeah, um, and, I mean, it's Craig Scott... Or Craig Robinson and Adam Scott. Like, I'll watch anything with them in it, so... It already has me sold on agree. that. Agreed. That's... I, all I need is their names, and I'm a fan <laughs> of it. Um, but I mean, it's like, you know, we've all kind of talked about this before, like Parks and Rec season one, I didn't think was funny at all. And I stopped watching it three episodes in. And then everyone said in season two, oh, my God, you have to watch this. And I picked it back up. And it's, you know, one of my my favorite comedies now um, or was one of my favorite comedies. I was very sad when it ended. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that I, I went back and gave it another chance because sometimes season one or even those first few episodes of a season can be um just a, it's a lot to have to set up so yeah well we also watched the the big bang theory the the unaired pilot for that and that was something else oh my god <laughs> that was something else um yeah. i had watched that a few years back when i first heard that there was an alternate pilot that was was pitched to cbs and it's funny because um, you know, and it's been a while since I've seen the Big Bang pilot, um, so I don't know how it directly compares, but there's some categorical differences with the characters, specifically Sheldon. Um, he's a little bit more into the ladies than he is in the version that got picked up, and um, the character of Penny is, is very, very different, and there's another girl character that I think ultimately got replaced by Raj and... Uh, um, the other guy whose name I'm totally spacing on that we interviewed last year for uh, Simon. Head, yeah, Hedberg. Simon. What's Hedberg. what's his name on the show? I can't remember. The guy with the I don't. The I don't cut. know. It's going to come to me. I'm going to. I don't. Burst I don't watch the Big Bang it. Theory, so. I don't either. I mean, it's one of those things I've talked about how I, do, I think it's making fun of, yeah. of nerds instead of it's laughing at them instead of laughing with them. Um, so I'm not a, a big fan of it, but I mean, I I work and talking about TV so I'm, I'm familiar enough with it um, but yeah. Howard, Howard Wallowitz Howard. that's what it was. There we go but uh, yeah the original pilot for that if you are 
are curious, you can catch it on YouTube. It's in, uh, it's broken into like eight parts and it's really, really crappy quality. Um, so you, you can watch it if you want. It's, it's not that great and it no. looks really bad, but uh, it is there and you can check it out. <laughs> Um, I'm sure I'm sure it probably won't be up for long because I feel like that sort of thing is probably violating some sort of something. So that's, that's probably why it's broken into so many parts. So probably. that it doesn't get caught or whatever. You know, I could have just looked on my movie poster and given you Simon's uh, name. Well, I knew Simon's name. I didn't know his we character's said Simon's name. name. Yeah, it's we said character. Simon's name. Do you or do you have a Big Bang Theory poster? I do not. I have I have my poster, so. <laughs> he's got the back of the uh, Florence Foster Jenkins poster blown up because he's the quote on the back of the DVD case, which is I it has a place of honor in my office too. I have it right next to my golden joystick, which is for some reason slowly turning gray. I don't know why it's <laughs> turning gray from gold, but uh it's on the award shelf. Um, well, moving along, uh, speaking of TV and my original tie-in, the color pink. Um, yeah, where, our, where were we going with this? We, were going, we got a little sidetracked. Um, but we have um, my last interview from um, ATX Festival, and we're going to follow that up by um, an interview that Mike also did at ATX. Um, but first up from HBO's Girls, we have John Glaser, who is also um, Councilman Jam on Parks and Recreation, um, and then Ebon Moss Bakram and director Richard Shepard talking about working on Girls, and um, there's there's some funny moments in this one, uh, mostly, well, John, of course, is a comedian, so it's uh, there's some funny moments, you'll see. All right, so here's my interview with HBO's Girls. So I want to ask you two, what do you think the future holds for your characters? Ten years from now, where do you think they are? That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, is Desi alive? Ooh. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, like, minivans, a minivan, like, San Jose, California, a couple kids. Um... Just turn, just still playing kind of music. turning it around. Yeah, yeah, still playing music, um, but like as a weekend warrior, you know, um, like um, small catering business. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You're a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about you? My stock joke answer has been that Laird cleans up his act. And he gets a job as a manager at Forever Twenty One. Working the floor. Okay. Uh, but the less joke you'd be, maybe like Home Depot. Okay. Like cleans up his act. You know, he's got a child and he really wants to be responsible and he focuses. And yeah, that seems pretty realistic. Yeah. I would buy that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It's a happy ending. Very sweet. It's very sweet. It's adorable, both of you. I'm so happy for both your characters. <laughs> happy. Yeah, try to. <laughs> I was worried for both of you guys and now I feel like I can sleep at night. Okay. Well, for you, um, having directed uh, so many episodes of the series, what kind of sticks out about this project um, for you in comparison to your other work? Well, I mean, to be in the presence of working with Lena is like a thing I'll never forget. I mean, it's one of the great gifts of my entire career. I mean, she's really something else. And she created a work environment that was so creative for the director's 
on the show and for the cast and for everyone. It was just a very unique thing to see her mind work on a daily basis, to be talking creatively with someone who's got so many amazing views and ideas and stuff like that. So by the time the sixth season happened, it was, you know, I mean, this summer that we're not making girls is really sad. Like I was just in New York. I'm like, I can't believe we're not shooting. It's been such a pleasure every year being able to work in that environment. I think they're going to have to do like a girls reunion here at some point. I think that, I think that that would be good. I think it would have a good Yeah, it's going to be great. We're filming it right now. Action. (laughs) Um, Well, having worked um, on the series and and one of the things that I love so much about it was just what like a raw look at, you know, being a young female. Um, it, It was just so truthful and so honest. Do you guys feel like you learned anything about girls or females working on this project that maybe you didn't know before or anything like that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect answer. <laughs> you, you would just write long pause. Long pause. <laughs> long masculine pause. <laughs> For me, I learned about a different gener- being working so closely with the generation that is yeah. different than mine. Right. And different sort of, you know, I always came at things as a director looking for the emotional stuff and I think Lena at first was holding back on that a little bit and that was a generational thing and so we sort of whenever we did something together these would be debates and Lena's very emotional obviously but that but just in terms of the way she approached a scene I would always come at it for me even if it was the silliest funniest thing like from an emotionally honest place as much as I could but to see and be around people of so many people who were in their 20s and doing unbelievably great stuff was sort of like I went from being like I can't believe I'm the oldest person on this to be like wow this is awesome like I'm getting so much energy creative energy from that I mean again it, it so maybe that for me that's the way to answer that question even it's not the question <laughs> no I like uh-huh. it I like it um so kind of favorite memory, uh, our favorite episode, or our favorite kind of moment working on the series. Do you have anything that kind of sticks out to you as your go-to memory from the show? I mean, for me, that my first episode, I just really liked that one a lot. I thought it was especially great, really, even just as an overall episode, it was really good. And there were so many fun moments for the character. And then one I've talked about before is the when Gabby was when her character was pregnant. That was really fun to shoot. I mean, it was a very physical scene. It was really compelling, and the fact that she was really pregnant and she was naked and wet, and I was genuinely nervous about picking her up and not dropping her. And um, but that was that was a highlight for sure. It was a great scene, also just to watch when it was done. <clears throat> But filming was really fun. Two of my biggest onset laughs happened with the. I only got to work with John once on only one episode, really, but there's a shot where they're comforting Hannah and you start making out. And do you remember this? You're holding Hannah and uh, you guys start making out, and Hannah's just like so miserable being like in this clutch. And I, I honestly don't. I laughed 
so hard at that. And even in editing, I would just like, kind of keep saying, can we just watch it again? <laughs> Let's just keep watching it. And then we did something when where Desi shows up at the performance the theater thing and, and shows up with his motorcycle helmet and he's so excited. And that was another situation where I think we did like 13 takes and we had it after like the third one. But we're just like, this is just too much fun and we're that ahead of schedule. Another. So let's just film <laughs> 10 more takes. <laughs> that was another scene where... Hannah was like the victim of right, like unwanted physical intimacy. <laughs> like, true. We were we'll on the, bu- the bed. And I like that. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. But it's true. She's like suffering Spurring. while two people are like connecting. <laughs> I wish we would have gone for it more on the kiss. I remember the moment when we were done feeling like, oh, we should one more just really <laughs> mash it. Her look of misery. <laughs> yeah, she was. And that was my awesome interview. Nicely done, Emma. Thank you. My favorite part of that is, uh, you know, I asked just there is there is a rawness and a um, kind of brutal honesty, I think, to to being a female that is 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 shown in in that show. And uh, Lena Dunham does such a great job with that. And so, like, when I asked the guys, like, do you feel like you've learned anything about like women from working on this series? I thought it was a really funny question, and I thought the fact that there was just a really long pause was even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, that was a fun interview, and those are yeah. those are some pretty cool guys. Yeah, I've always heard good things about the show, and like it's I know it's won some awards and stuff, or at least been nominated, and so I've just haven't had the chance to watch it yet. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I feel like people either love it or they hate it. I mean, it's it's been, I guess, somewhat controversial in, in some of its content and some of how it's yeah. kind of highlighted being a, a millennial female. Um, but I think Lena is, um, she's amazing, and I, I will watch anything she does. I, I haven't seen all of Girls, but I've seen a good a good bit of it, and it's, it's really well done. And it's, like, again, like I said before, there's just um, such a, a kind of brutal honesty to it. Um, especially for those characters and, and what they're going through and the evolution that their characters make throughout the series is is kind of cool. Um, but moving along, uh, Mike, do you want to set up our next interview? Sure. So I talked to Natalie Morales um, at ATX uh, Television Festival. Um, she was, one of her very first jobs in television was this really weird uh, comedy sci-fi show called The Middleman and it was on ABC Family at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night in between two airings of the 700 Club so you can imagine this show didn't get watched by a lot of people and it also got cancelled after 12 episodes uh, but it was just a really funny show um, I loved it it's basically She's a struggling artist, and she's recruited by this secret agency to fight against evil forces. They're always basically saving the Earth from aliens or bad men. Um, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Um, they, the, I, I actually, in the interview, you'll, you'll hear that I actually talk about their dialogue being almost Gilmore Girl fast. Um, and I also mess up the name of the creator of the show. So here's the interview with Natalie Morales. I will give my defense. Uh, I was trying to read off my iPod, my, my sorry, my, my iPhone, and I was also sitting literally two feet away from Natalie Morales in front of a roaring fireplace. So here's my interview. 
because I'm a big Molly Ringwald fan. Ah, and she was on. And she was on Secret Life of American yes. Teenagers, which was not the greatest show. But um, anyway. Well, so, you don't have to explain to me. I watch Pretty Little Liars. Okay. Well, uh, I I will give my main yes. part and say that I don't watch that, but. So, let me get my, where I can read my notes. Um, so, have you been to the ATX Festival before? I haven't. I've been to Austin for South By and for the Film Festival, but never to ATX. So well, I hope you have a yeah. great time. I think I, I will. I come every year. I actually was kind of like a founding member of the press. Really? Oh, yeah, great. I mean, it's so I'm kind of grandfather again. But um, So, um, how did you get the part on The Middleman? Because you really didn't have a lot of experience yeah, before you got that part. I auditioned. Yeah, I worked hard on it and I auditioned. It was a very, like, if you watch that show, you know that I had a lot of monologues and a lot of jargon and a lot of fast talking. And so, uh, yes, I auditioned for it. Good old audition. Just for, um, this, this is a website called Fanbolt, which actually is more, it was founded by Emma Log. She's one of the original deep gears. She started doing a blog back in the 90s with the OC and some of the other shows, Roswell. Yeah. Um, so just talk a little bit about the show because it's such a one, I mean, it was only on for 12, 12 yeah. episodes. So talk just a little bit about what the show is about. Yeah, I mean, not only was it only on for 12 episodes, but they never re-ran it or re-aired it. So it only aired one time, 12, 12 episodes, one time after the 700 Club. That was our lead-in. <laughs> so I am shocked whenever somebody says they saw it, especially someone who's like, I saw it on the TV. That's just crazy to me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of my life because it's what got me to where I am and it's what definitely prepared me for the work that I've had to do. I mean, having that be your first job is like an intense boot camp of stuff, but it was really, really fun. Yeah, you guys were kind of, you were in a secret organization and you were basically capturing bad guys and monsters and all yeah, sorts of, I mean, I, I, a lot of people are trying to take over the world. Yes. I always describe it as Men in Black meets 30 Rock. Like, that's what I would say and I always say that I'm Latina fan. <laughs> and, um, I would be like the Will Smith character in this. So, so yeah, that's what I. Um, that's how I kind of explain it. It's it's a superhero organization that's under the radar. We don't have powers. We're like Batman, where we just have stuff, and uh, and we take care of evil things. So you don't have to. Is sort of our motto. Uh, now, it was uh, the show was created by. I'm gonna get the name wrong. So Javier Guerrero. Writing on Lost. Yes. So that's kind of it. So he kind of got the show yeah. once he got the Emmy. Well, it was it was a comic book that he wrote. Uh, actually, it first was a pilot that they told him it was never going to get made. So he turned it into a comic book. The comic book got made, and then they were like, well, maybe let's make this a pilot. And so that's what happened. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't know it was a comic book. Yeah. I've got a lot of. Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of uh, uh, people that listen that are big comic books. Oh yes, yeah. so. and then and then what we did was. Uh, we finished the entire series as a 13th episode in a comic book. Oh, okay. so the third, yeah, the third thing, so, so in the original comic book, Wendy Watson, which is the character I play, is a is a redheaded white girl from like Ohio. Um, and in the in 
the last comic book, which is our 13th episode, it's me. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. So it mixes the canons in that sense. Well, yeah. talk, a, talk a little bit about working with Mark Harrison, because he's really, he's, I mean, he's like a Juilliard trained uh, actor, and he's done a lot of stage work, and really didn't do Who did you say, Mark Dukat? Uh, no, I, no, your, your co-star, your, your co-star, Mark Kessler. Oh, Matt Kessler. Matt Kessler, I'm sorry. Matt Kessler, sorry. Okay, I was yeah. like, I got confused. Yeah, no, it's okay. Matt, um, yeah, Matt was, Matt's a brilliant actor. Um, I learned a lot from him. He was really, I mean, that's a hard role. <laughs> it's, he's playing this really earnest, super earnest superhero in a time where, I mean, I guess we're still kind of in that time, but that was like anti-hero heaven, you know? And so it was this opposite thing where I, I know he didn't want to look ridiculous, and and I think his earnestness, the way he played it, was the only thing that made it work. Because it's not an easy character to translate to TV, and he really, he really didn't make it up. Yeah, you touched on a little bit. Talk about the dialogue, because you guys, it was, it's not Gilmore Girl and Link, but it was certainly as far as quick dialogue. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was not far from Gilmore Girls. I think they definitely used that as a, as a touchstone. Um, yeah, we were really fast-paced. We snippy dialogue stylistic and and lots of jargon lots of made up alien names and words and places and things and and you know uh and a lot of pop references i mean continually oh, yes. every episode every episode had a theme um, and so every episode like one whole episode is a back to the future reference like easter egg hunt it's what it is you know and another episode which is what we're screening today is all die hard and so so it's all for like all the street names. It's like it's like let's see what you can catch that's all references to something. Yeah, I remember you said something at one point. It's like you were flashing back to your Kingston area, you know. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for not sort of showing up because I was flashing back to it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and a lot. Of, I remember uh, Matt Damon references for like um, uh, for the from the Born Identity, oh, yeah. the Born films. And yeah, Buffy references. <laughs> There's a lot of definitely a lot of pop culture. Yeah. That because of this dialogue, because it was so quick, did you guys crack up a lot? I mean, with the, trying to get through this dialogue and all the yeah, technical yeah, stuff? Yeah, we did, but we, we ran a really tight schedule because we didn't have big budgets and it was a, and it was a big show. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. So, if you don't have a big budget and you have a big show, that means your days have to be, you have to get a lot in one day. You can't have extra days because that costs extra money. So we would shoot like 10 pages a day, which is kind of unheard of. Uh, especially with that much dialogue. Um, I would say, you know, we shot for seven days and we do about about eight to ten pages a day for for, uh, for an hour long show. That seems like too many pages, but something like that. You know what I mean? It was a lot of dialogue and for eight or ten days. Right. They have less, you know, less scenes to do. We had so many to do that even though we did crack up a lot, we had to just, we had to get beyond it and keep going. And learning, learning a bunch of weird names because yes. all the all the, the guns and everything else always yes. had these weird, strange names. I still have a recording of Javi uh, on my iTunes. Whenever I put it on shuffle, it comes up of him uh, recording himself.
myself pronouncing this pyramid that was just, if you saw it spelled out, it was a series of it's I's, T's, Z's, and X's that was like uh, 30 letters long. And so it's just a recording of how I go, it's a lich lit lich litzel. It's a lich lit lich litzel. And I'll never forget it because now it's ingrained in my head. But when you saw it on paper, it makes no sense. And it was just dread pyramid of it's a lich lit lich litzel that we kept referring to. Things so I have a lot of situations like that. Yeah. Um, you had a couple other co-stars on it. Um, uh, Britt Morgan, who played yeah. your, your roommate. Yes. And she's gone on to having, uh, as far as our fan group, uh, a part in Supergirl playing yes. Livewire. Yes. And then um, um, the other one is uh, gosh, I remember, uh, Mary Pat Gleason, yes. who's been on like every TV show known to man. I know. So was the set as much fun? I mean, I know you realize you guys were hard, hard working because you yeah. had to shoot so quickly, but it does seem like you guys were just having fun. So oh, fun. yeah. I mean, Britt and I are best friends. We've actually been roommates in real life, um, which is great because of the show. Um, and yeah, she's had this amazing career. She's one of the most talented people I've ever met, one of the most talented actresses. And it's sort of crazy because I think she gets, I think she gets, uh, she has a hard time because she's so gosh darn attractive <laughs> that people don't necessarily think that she's going to be as good as she is. And she shocks people. I mean, she is so, so talented. And Mary Pat is as well. It's really great. It was fun to be a part of that sort of DC universe. I just did an episode of Powerless where I was Green Fury, and so it was all like Britt and I were like in the same universe. Cool. That. It's very fun. Yeah. That's cool. Um, let's see, I'm still trying to read my notes. Um, so it was on ABC Family. I mean, it's only on for 12 episodes, and you kind of got lost. Yeah. Definitely. Did you guys, when you, your, your last episode, that 12th episode, is uh, you go to an opposite world, basically. Yes. And so now everybody that you think is good is bad, and everybody that was right. bad on your world is good. Everyone over there has goatees, like and, Star Trek. The, I, I watched the episode last night, and it makes you think, yes, but also, everybody's cussing. Yes. Which is just, yes. just I mean, you bleeped it out, but still, you yes. know what you're saying. Yeah. When you guys shot that episode, did you kind of know that this was the end? I mean, or, Yes, well, we definitely knew. Okay. We knew. We found out, I think, two episodes before that. We thought we were getting 13, and we decided to take the money that we would have had for the 13 and put it into the 12 so we could get a better last episode. Because it's a great deal. Also, the ending with you, you and the painting and yeah. everything else, I thought that was... But I just thought that was a great send-off for that. Yeah. You know, and also kind of saying, kind of, screw you to yeah. the work also, you know? Yeah. This still could have been more. Yeah. Did you ever think of, you know, that it, you know, what if it had been on sci-fi? I mean, I always thought it would have been Everybody great. Everybody said that, yeah. Yeah, a, a perfect companion piece for Eureka. Yeah, Because oh, yeah. they were so similar. I mean, you, yeah. you guys were more, a little more, more straightforward. Eureka went a little bit further out there, mm -hmm. but, I mean, that would have been a perfect. Did you, did you ever think yeah, about that? Yeah, I mean, they, they gave, ABC Family gave us, uh, gave us the show, you know what I mean? They gave us license to do it. They gave us everything that we needed to do. They let Javi have, like, free reign over the show he wanted to make. And 
who's to say if that experience would have been the same elsewhere? Uh, it didn't work for them monetarily, so who can blame them for not picking it up? But they definitely gave us our chance. You know? Now you've done other things also. You've done uh, you were on Suits for a while. No, uh, I didn't. Do I'm sorry, you didn't do Suits. No, I did. I think you're thinking of White Collar. White Collar. I'm sorry, yeah. White oh, Collar. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry, White Collar. I've been White Collar. I'm sorry. I, I watched White Collar also. Similar. Yeah, a little bit. A yeah. little bit. Both were Suits. But you're on anyway. You're on White Collar. Yeah. You're on. Um, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna check out my notes. Oh, please. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. You're on Parks and Rec. And then my favorite, The Grinder, which I think we're gonna look back and, and look at The Grinder and go, that should have been on forever because it was a classic television and it had so much talent on it and the writing was so good. Thank you. And I, I wish that it, people would give it more of a shot. I hear that a lot. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I, I mean, I've been, I guess, fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of great TV shows that unfortunately have been canceled too soon. <laughs> So recently, like the last two or three years, we've been starting directing some shorts. You did some funnier die things. So I don't know how to describe them, but like which ones? The the, the uh, not Henry James. Uh, uh, James, James Joyce. Joyce. Yes, yes, James Joyce letters. Yeah. So those are real. Those are not, yeah. not mine. James Joyce. No. I was like up late one night on Reddit, just on a Reddit hole, and I found these letters that James Joyce wrote to his wife Nora, and they were real. And they're disgusting. They're so insane. And this was in like 1908. They, he describes doing things to her that like shock me today in 2017. So uh, and things that he wants her to do. It's it's really nuts. And I it was it developed as sort of like a party trick. I would read these letters at parties, and then I was like, ah, oh, you know what I have to do? I have to film my friends reading this, like you know. And so that's what I did. I did that series for Fun Your music video last year with uh, about gun, yeah, yeah, violence, but guns in school. And yes, uh, it was with Every Town for Gun Safety, which is an organization I work with, and it was a music video with Andrew Bird, um, who's a super talented, amazing musician. Um, they came to me, uh, they sort of, Andrew wanted to donate his music, wanted to make a video, and Every Town wanted to make a PSA out of that, and they came to me for ideas and to direct it, and I was like, well, let's not preach to the choir here, let's, let's make something that, you know, people that are not only Andrew Bird fans will listen to it. People that don't, you know, already support every town will watch because I feel like that Venn diagram is probably pretty tight. So let's let's open it up and have something interesting to say that isn't polarizing, but is maybe just something no one knows. And I, it's it's it's, a, it's about a day in the life of a kid in America. That's all it is. It's just a slice of life, and I thought that was important to see. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that, thinking back to my childhood, we were just worried about tornado warning. Yes, I know. I did it. fire drills, and, and I never heard of a school burning down with a bunch of children, and these kids have to go to school every day. Every kid in America does school shooting drills all the time. And, then and it's like it's a part of the normal life. Yes. That's, and that's exactly. what I thought you, you, you really, your 
message was is that this is just yeah. part of now everyday life. Yes, yeah. and that on its own is terrible and needs to change. I mean, it's traumatizing on its own to, to be, like imagine doing a, a drill for being shot by someone that you likely know and then just getting back up and finishing your math test. Like that's that's uh, I, all the kids that I talk to, all the schools that I talk to, all the teachers I talk to when I was doing research for that were like every time, every time a kid in the class has a panic attack. It's, it happens every time. Um, there's always, it's really psychologically troubling and it's something that these kids will grow up with and not even know that they don't have to. Right. Yeah. So is this something you want to do more of? You want to get into directing more? Yeah, more? I direct uh, I direct a lot and I really enjoy it. I write and direct a lot. So, okay. um, yeah. Are you, are you thinking about getting into to directing and writing sitcoms or dramas? Yeah. Or, so? yeah um, I'm actually doing uh, three episodes of this Go 90 series. I'm directing three episodes of this Go 90 series called Mr. Student Body President, which is really great. It's, it's, uh, it's basically like a West Wing set in a high school. Cool. Yeah, and it's a real satire. It's a comedy, but it's played dead serious, and it's, it's, it's shot like, you know, it's just like the West Wing. It's really, really fun. Um, so I'm directing three episodes of that in a few weeks, and um, and yeah, and I'm directing my own stuff that I've written and and, uh, and putting stuff out there, just creating stuff. Well, I want to thank you for talking to me today. That's Thanks. great. And I, like I said, Middleman was one of my one of these discoveries that yeah. I, I that I just loved it. I, I love going back and watching a couple yeah. of the episodes. Are you coming to the panel? Later? I'm going to try to go to the oh, panel. Great, yeah, great. So, it's so, but fun. It, yeah. yeah, it's um, and it's I, I talked to a bunch of people that know about it. I mean, yeah, that's I was, so yeah, crazy. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to interview them. Well, she was on the Middleman. They're like, yeah, I know. So, yeah, you've got some fans well, out there. Good. That's good. That's really yeah. cool. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Yeah, really nice talking I'm to you. Sorry, I messed up on a couple of the names. Oh, that's fine. I need glasses. That's <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I certainly did, and uh, she is she's she's a really nice person, also. Um, and it was it was a fun interview. I've been fo following her since um, that that show, and she's gone on. And she was on uh, last year. She was on the Rob Lowe show, The Grinder, and uh, she spent a couple a couple of seasons on uh, Parks and Rec. Um, and she's done a bunch of stuff. She was on, on the new version of 90210. And uh, she was also, right after she did The Middleman, uh, she was on White Collar for a season playing a, an agent. Uh, so she's had a, a rather interesting career and is continuing going. I can't help but wonder if that show would have done better, like, in today's you know, age of television. Because, I mean, like, it sounds very much like a show that you would see today's age, and maybe it was just, it kind of feels like it was ahead of its time. It, it was. It, it really should have been on a sci-fi channel because it would have been a perfect companion piece to uh, the, uh, what was the, the sci-fi comedy slash drama on that show? Um, Eureka? Yeah, Eureka. Eureka yeah. it would have been a perfect uh, companion to Eureka, and in fact, I did talk to her about that. And she also feels that um, you know now that Twitter is such a big deal that that would have helped a lot getting the word out. Yeah. Um, but I, you can watch all the shows. Um, I think they're on Netflix. This or not? I know they did release a DVD, and it's got some fans. Um, they uh, he actually created the 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 guy that created the show. Um, uh, first created a comic book about the show 
And then um, when they only had 12 episodes, uh, the fans did a, uh, a Kickstarter. And so he created a comic book to um, actually sum up the show. So it's, it's still got some fans out here. It's just nobody saw it at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like how she corrected you with so many things, <laughs> so many names, and shows she was not in. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just put it. Th- let's just put it this way. I was I was a little overwhelmed uh, by sitting so close to her in front of a fireplace. So you've made That's up for fair. all the mistakes Emma and I have made. You've caught up to <laughs> us in one. Well, episode. I don't. I don't know if anyone can catch up to me in names that I've butchered, but <laughs> definitely join the club for sure. Um, well, cool. So that's our, our interviews for this week. We're going to have a ton of interviews coming up. I'm headed to uh, next uh, weekend, not this weekend, but uh, July 7th. I'm headed up to Heroes and Villains Fan Fest in Nashville. So we'll have some goodness from that. And then, of course, Comic-Con is just right around the corner. I head out, I think, on the 18th. It's either the 18th or the 19th for that. And um, we'll all be out there for for a few days doing a lot of interviews so we'll have a we'll have lots of stuff for for a while after that one yeah <laughs> but, um moving right along let's uh let's hop into our box office report um which i don't remember what our bets were last weekend but i remember that it was that transformers was going to be in first and it indeed came in first with 44 million uh, followed by Wonder Woman in second with 24 million Cars 3 fell to third with 24 million um, just barely under Wonder Woman um, 47 meters down uh, came in fourth and the mummy still holding holding in the top five and number five with uh, six million so that's our our results uh, rough night fell to eighth with Still, it's still in the top ten, and I feel like that's wrong. But that's that's another <laughs> that's a subject we've like beaten into the ground. So I talked. won't yeah. I won't dive into that. Yep. But um, rough night is uh, the new rock dog. It is. <laughs> but the cool thing is, uh, Wonder Woman uh, has done a, a three hundred <clears throat> sorry three hundred eighteen million domestically here, but worldwide it is now the largest film directed by a woman. Which um, is so that's, awesome. Yeah, so that's really cool. Well deserved. And hopefully more hopefully more women will get chances at directing action films. Oh yeah. And it's it's about to become the biggest um DC extended universe film passing uh Batman vs Superman and um Suicide Squad. So Well that'll that's happen. not hard to do with any of those yeah. two films, but <laughs> <laughs> I was not a fan of either of those two, no, um, but yeah. but I heard that um, the director Patty Jenkins is already um, somewhat involved in the second one. She's already working on the script, yeah. so I don't know if she's. I don't think they've announced her as the director for the second one. I don't know if uh, how common that is to see the same director, you know, uh, stay on to do the next one, especially in the the superhero universe. Yeah, um, well, especially for a female director. Because, I mean, like, you see Zack Snyder or, you know, they always hang on, but for Well, even with that, are the new new Avenger movies, are they, they're not Whedon, are they? Josh Whedon? No, Whedon's Whedon's doing a, uh, Whedon move over to DC now. He's doing the Batgirl movie. 
That's right. That's right. And he's he's working on um, Justice League right now. After um, Zack Snyder, remember the his his daughter died, and so he stepped away from, right. from that. And Whedon stepped in to fill some uh, reshoots and stuff. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah he's, so he's a DC guy now. I, 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 he did such a great job with Avengers. I mean, I'm sure that the next films are going to be great as well. But it is kind of interesting why you wouldn't um, stick with, you know, if something's not broke, don't fix it. Like, if it oh, worked yeah. really well before, and you've obviously got a director that understands the material and the characters and, you know, it, and does a good job at telling the story, you know, why change that up? Yeah. Um, I get that schedules um, I, and budgets and all of that stuff comes into play, but... Well, I, I've got some breaking news. It's official that she will be indeed directing Wonder Woman 2. Oh, she awesome. Confirmed, yeah, she confirmed it uh, today when she was speaking at a woman in film screening of the of the film. Oh, nice. So. Well, that makes me happy. Well, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, but we do have um, some new contenders coming into the theater this weekend that's definitely going to upset our, our top three. Um, so the question's going to be, uh, the two films we're going to review today, Despicable Me 3 and Baby Driver. I think we should start with Despicable Me 3 because we say, let's say we the best for end, last. end on a high note. <laughs> exactly. Um, but before we wrap up the box office segment, do you guys think that, how do you think these two are going to play in the, the the box office this coming weekend? Do you think Despicable Me because all the families are going to oh. be together and home and you know, is, is that going to do better than Baby Driver or is Baby Driver going to be in first where it belongs? No, it's not. No. It won't. It yeah. won't even be close. It's going to be Despicable Me. I'm guessing probably around 90 million. Yeah. Um, just because we've already seen with the Boss Baby and some other animated films, uh, families are desperate, especially on holiday weekends for family films. And so it's going to do a major box office. Um, Baby Driver it's got good word of mouth. It's getting great reviews, uh, but I don't look at to do more than like uh, between twenty-five and thirty thousand, thirty million um, at the box office. It's not. It's also. I don't think it's. Uh, I'm looking right now, but I don't think it's going to be in as many theaters. I think they're do, not doing a totally wide release on Baby Driver. Let me see. No, they are doing a big release. It's three thousand two hundred theaters. I have a feeling um, it'll but, be. I'm going to estimate higher than Mike. For, for Baby Driver. I think it's going to do really well. It's not going to come anywhere close to Despicable Me. I'll agree with him on that. But I think it'll do more than 30. I'm going to say closer to 40. Yeah, and then we also have another film that was not screened for us, uh, uh, for the critics, uh, The House, uh, the comedy with uh, Will Ferrell um, and Amy, Amy Poehler. And I think that's going to bomb. I think that you're looking at like nine to ten million. Yeah, I hadn't even I have, uh, heard about that one. So <laughs> yeah, it just it looks it looks horrible. Like it's, I said, it, they didn't they didn't screen it. I mean, comedies are usually kind of pretty critic proof, but it's the word of mouth is that it's it's not very good. Um, so yeah, gotcha. Well, this makes me sad because um, I'm not going to have very favorable things to say about Despicable Me 3 in our review. So um, let's dive right on in. Um, 
which one of you wants to set up our, our description of Despicable Me 3? I'll, I'll take it. Why not? It's basically... He's going to take one for the team. Yeah. Why not? Um, so, Gru... See, I haven't seen Despicable Me 2. So, Gru basically is now a good guy. So, he works for the Anti-Villain League. And so him and his wife, um, Lucy, played by Kristen Wiig, um, they work for the Anti-Villain League, and there's a new villain in town, uh, Balthazar Brat, who's like this former child star who basically lives in the 80s. So everything he does from like his villain tech tools and the music, it's all... 80s things so like he has like a rubik's cube bomb um he has gum that explodes and turns into balloons and stuff it's really weird stuff he comes onto the (laughs) scene and he steals this massive diamond and so grew and lucy they fail to get it back and as a result they're fired from the anti-villain league and from there on we um Drew finds out he has a long-lost twin brother named Drew, and he wants to become a villain, and so they devise a plan to steal the diamond from Balthazar Brat, and basically, hopefully, try to get back into the good graces of the Anti-Villain League. And of Matt, course, Matt, your tell your telling of this just tells us everything you feel about this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and their minions, of course, the minions are everywhere. You I will say the minions with with the minions. Um, the minion movie was a, a little bit too much minion action for me. Um, I think they do oh, yeah. better in small doses. Um, though I would argue the small dose should probably be about the length of like a Pixar short that airs before a Pixar film. Um, cause I mean, it's just less is more with, with the minions. Yeah. Um, but I totally agree with you on that. Like they're, they're fine in this movie. I thought, um, all things considered. <laughs> yeah, cause, cause considered. basically, basically they leave, uh, grew, uh, because he won't become a bad guy. Um, this is fairly early on in the film, and then they get into an adventure where they get arrested and get put in prison. Um, that was basically the only part that I thought was really funny is when the minions were in prison and they've kind of taken over the prison. Well, um, don't get your hopes up too much for, for our review because none of us really liked it. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive in. Boredom Factor 1 to 5. How bored were you? Five, yeah, I'd give it a four and a I'm gonna, half. I'm gonna like, say, I'm gonna say four, yeah. Um, so, just... so here's, here's the great thing is we, I had uh, another film critic next to me, um, Matt from Collider.com, and he looks at his watch probably about forty five minutes into the film, and then literally three minutes later he looks at his watch again. And I asked him after the film, I said, Matt, do you realize you watched, you looked at your film twice in the span of three minutes? And he said, yes, this movie was so boring, it stopped time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I would argue, though, that our next factor, eye-rolling factor, I don't even feel like saying a five, like, it was so much more than a five. It was like, 
a 575 on the, the eye rolling factor. I mean, it was just so over the top. And I actually like, this is going to sound bad, but, um, as, as a girl in her thirties, I, you know, a lot of people my age have kids. And sometimes I think about when I, when I'm in kids movies like this, I'm like, could I put myself through this if I had a, a child? Like they wanted to see this. They wanted to watch these kind of movies. Like, is having kids really worth it? Like, I feel like that's one of the questions that Despicable 3 this, left me with. Is it worth oh God. having children? Um, it's just so bad. I, I mean, I feel like in kids' movies, you have to have a little something for the adults to enjoy and kind of laugh yeah. up that the kids don't get. And there's just none of that here. It's no. so, so over the top and just so obnoxious. Well, what they've done is they—they're making these these this, this typical me franchise films for six-year-olds. They're right. not even going. They're not even going for 12, 13 year olds They're going for five and six-year-olds, and they're doing. I mean, right away you knew what the, what it was going to be like when they had the uh, imagination logo, and we already had in a span of the first twenty seconds we had two farts by the minions. Yep. Yeah, and that's, I mean uh, that's. All the power to them because, I mean, like we said earlier, this movie is going to make $85, $90 million this weekend. And, you know, I saw in the audience in our screen, there were kids dressed up as minions. I mean, they were laughing throughout the entire film. Like, if it you ain't know, broke, don't fix it. And they like, were... But, I mean, yeah, it is a terrible movie. <laughs> I'm going to say that those kids that were laughing were also talking through the entire movie, um, all of them. I haven't been to, like, a kid's screening in recent yeah, times, but, but apparently par for the course. But, yeah, um, that, yeah, that's typical. I mean, especially with dealing with, especially a movie at this that is appealing to five- and six-year-olds, their attention span is rather short, and they also don't have an off switch. So when you go to these kids' movies... Especially the ones that are aimed at smaller kids than uh, the younger kids, then yeah, you get that a lot. Maybe that's why it does so well because they aren't actually paying attention to what they're watching and they don't realize how bad it is. Mm-hmm. I, I want to like give the kids some cred. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to have no. faith in kids. <laughs> but um, moving right along, um, best and worst performance. Um, which which voice talent would you give best and worst performance for this? I I like Kristen Wiig. I thought she was good, who plays Lucy, uh, Gru's wife. And um, basically, like, she spends the entire movie trying to win over the affection of, you know, uh, Margot, Edith, and Agnes, the, the three little girls in the film. And, you know, I love Kristen Wiig. I think she's hilarious. And I thought she was... She was the least grading of the bunch, yeah, I'll go for that, and I will give worst performance in Trey Parker, and I don't think it's all of his fault. Um, the, what my biggest complaint, well, not my biggest, but one of my big complaints about these movies is the villain is always very badly put together, and I just, they're usually a one-trick pony, which this character was, and uh, Gru, you know, ultimately wins, but he's a bad guy too and it just seems like they always pick these these bad guys these characters like um Baltazar Brat that is just very weak um and 
don't have a, a very good backstory to them and it just it brings the brings the film down yeah no i yeah. i definitely agree on um on trey parker and i don't even i mean it's just i hated the character so much that i just think that that's probably tainting my my uh worst performance uh um, title here, but uh, I, I didn't enjoy his character at all. Um, for best performance, you know what? I'm going to stir things up a little bit, at, and I'm going to I'm going to give it to the girl that voiced Edith, who I think was absolutely adorable, um, mainly because she she gets a goat and it's really cute. Um, Dana Geyer, 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 Geyer. I don't know. I'm just butchering names right and left. But um, she was, she was a cute boy. I thought it was Agnes who got the goat. No, I think it was Edith, wasn't it? I just looked. I'm pretty sure it was Agnes. It was the youngest. Because the middle, yeah, the youngest is Agnes. All right. Well. (laughs) Edith is the middle one. All right. Hold on. Wait. Let me go back to IMDb Pro here. Oh, I can't. There's. It's even less likely that I'm going to say this name right. Um, Nevs Scarrell, 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 Sherelle, Sherelle. I don't know. Um, she's so she's actually a super cute little kid. Um, the other girl um, who voiced Edith is looks like an adult. So yeah, and and then the, and then the oldest kid is 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 voiced by Miranda Cosgrove. Right, yeah. right. I do find that interesting when you can get um, like adults to voice kids, and they actually like sound like kids. I think that's really talented voice acting. Um, granted, that's not who I'm giving best performance to. I think I'm giving it to someone. Uh, let's see, shoot, it doesn't have a birth date. She looks like she's five, but um, <laughs> you know what? I see great things in her future. So yeah. Um, goat things in her future. Goat things in her future. Um, but moving right say, along. Well, I will say, oh. too, that I was disappointed with um, Jenny Slate. She's in this yeah. film. And, like, she I liked her. I was looking forward to her. And she's in it for, like, one scene. Yeah. And it was like, what a waste of her talent. I feel like, and I'm going to base this largely on her role um, in Parks and Rec, it was just, it was a really obnoxious role that she had in Parks and Rec, and I got to where it was like, I, I could only handle her in very small doses, and I, I want to but, see her. She was in, uh, was it Gifted? Was that what she was in? She was in a movie recently. Yeah, she was recently. in Gifted. She was in Gifted. She was um, in, she does a really good performance in um, My Blind Bl- Brother. I haven't seen yeah, either of those. Yeah, a smaller movie that came that's out. That's a small film. Um, so she does good with and, serious but, work yeah. too. Like right, you, but, you guys didn't feel but, as annoyed with her in those. Yeah. No. In fact, you want to, the film you want to go see is Obvious Child. It was made in 2014. Yeah. And it's an amazing film. It's a comedy about abortion. But All right. It is, but no. But it is a great film. And it's a great performance by Jenny Slate. Um, basically, she has an unplanned pregnancy, and she's got to confront, you know, whether or not to get an abortion. But she's also got relationship problems and all sorts of other things. But it's a really, really good film. I, I loved it. Um, it's got a really good cast. Uh, Richard Kind's in it, Polly Draper. Um, so I highly recommend Obvious Child. It's one of my favorite films of, of uh, 2014. Nice. I will. I will make note of that one. Um, so obviously, no ATL recognition factor here. No. Because 
It's animated and animated land. Um, <laughs> Hollywood's in it, though, so maybe it's not all animated, but are all based on places that don't exist, but uh, most of it seems like it is. Um, so overall, one to five, this is going to get fun. What are you guys going to give this film? I'm giving it a one. I'm giving it a I thought zero. We were supposed to g- no, wait, we're supposed to give a name. We're supposed to give the Atlas. I give yeah. it a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying anything because I literally give it nothing. <laughs> I can't get zero for me. Well, on a on a zero to rough night, what would you give it, Emma? <laughs> oh my God, that's so unfair. Um, you know what? Because uh, you so, said rough night was one of the worst films you've ever seen. Yes, I did. Um, and yet somehow I feel like these two are still not comparable, and I I dislike both of them quite quite a bit (laughs) there were a few times when i laughed in rough night and the only time i laughed in in this film was when the little girl agnes um she's determined to find a unicorn and she finds this adorable little goat with one one partial horn and she thinks it's a unicorn it's literally the cutest thing ever um largely because (laughs) i'm obsessed with goats yeah i was about to say uh, there is a reason why you felt that way i uh i um I am partial to goats. I I rather like them. But um, that's literally the only part of this movie that I enjoyed. So, but I also feel like, like comparing the two, I feel like I can see Agnes's eyes like welling up with tears with me about to say (laughs) that it's like one of the worst movies of the year. But I mean, it's... She's goat tripping you. It's one of the, I won't say it's it's a bad kids movie. I mean, that's really all. I can't compare the two. I mean, they're both, they're both bad movies. I, I give it a one an NA also just an A um, and it, it's it's I don't think it's a horrible film I've certainly seen worse kids movies it's just boring yeah, yeah. no it's not just boring it's exhausting it's just <laughs> it's like an hour and a half movie that feels like five that's fair that's totally fair like I, so boring that time stopped yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking about time flying by in really fast cars, like that transition, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, uh, Baby say. Driver, our, our next film. I'm going to let Mike set this one up because he first saw this um, way before any of us saw it earlier this year at South by Southwest. Um, so this was his second time seeing it. You want to walk us through the, uh, the description? Sure. So um, Baby... Um, um, is a getaway driver. Um, he works for a kingpin, uh, played by Kevin Spacey, um, that, he, that he owes big money uh, to. Um, he also has tinnitus. Baby has tinnitus, so he is constantly listening to music. And um, he basically uh, is this amazing driver um, who works for Kevin Spacey. He meets a girl at, uh, that works at a, uh, a diner and uh, basically falls for her and decides that he's going to get out of the, of the business. Uh, but uh, Kevin Spacey's character has different designs on, on that. Um, and that's, it's, we all, we're getting ready to review it, but we're all very excited to be reviewing this movie because we all just loved it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was such a great movie. And when they were here shooting in Atlanta, um, I feel like we we all knew every single place that they they filmed at. I remember yeah. it was a Sunday when they filmed one of the scenes in the the beginning of the movie where a car actually comes kind of off of an overpass, which was on to 7585. And I had a bunch of friends who were stuck in traffic while they filmed that scene and were very upset and didn't realize what was going on. <laughs> and, I, believe, um, I believe that was Freedom Parkway that they... It was that, Freedom that Parkway. First, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, but it's just cool because when you, when you remember the actual filming of it that vividly and then you get to actually see it on the big screen and it, it is so identifiable with Atlanta... I don't know. There's just a special place in my heart for this film. Yeah, and and early early on in in this um, this podcast, you and Jakai used to talk about all the all the places that Baby Driver kept showing up. And yep. after watching this film, we need, we now know why because they literally shot all over this city. And the coolest thing is that Atlanta is actually Atlanta. Yep. Unlike Spider Man, <laughs> where it was shot here. But it takes place mostly in New York City. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like they mention specifically Spaghetti Junction. They show Spaghetti Junction. They mention I-75, I-85. Like, there are a lot of Atlanta jokes. Um, drinking octane drinking coffee. Drinking octane coffee, <laughs> which is absolutely perfect for the film. And, and there's a great chase sequence. Uh, we mentioned this last week in the Peachtree Center downtown yep. that uh, if you go to Dragon Con, you're very familiar with that, that shopping center because of all the food court um, yeah. things in it. It's funny, though, because, like, you know, being from Atlanta, knowing all these places and all these filming locations, it, it does kind of take you out of the movie. Because, like, you know, like, he's running through Peachtree Center, and then all of a sudden he ends up in a parking lot in uh, Castleberry Hill, and you're like, that does not make sense. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, yeah, those two are nowhere near each other. Yeah, there, there were a couple of scenes like that that I noticed. Um, yeah. But let's, let's dive into the official review before we answer all of it just by talking about it and how much we loved it um so boredom factor one to five i'm gonna give it a zero because i wasn't bored for a single second no not at all i mean it's this is all it's all about the driving and the heists and it's literal driving like there is no cgi it's just straight up action and you get all these cool shots it's and it's and it's um it's basically a musical it there's there's 30 songs in this in this film um a lot of classic r&b uh but also some uh classic 70s and 80s rock um uh and uh it's just and all the so baby also drive when he drives these getaway cars he actually drives to a soundtrack that's the way he reacts and in fact um there's a couple of scenes one where um, he has to restart his iPod to, in order to start the getaway. Um, and then another scene where uh, he, um, he has to pick a song in order to, uh, 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 in, a, in, a, in a car where it's only got a radio, uh, and he's got to find the right song before he can get away from the cops. Yeah. Um, it's, and and uh, 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 Ansel Elgar is just amazing in this film. He, I mean, the literally the first scene, 
he puts in his his uh, his uh, 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 earphones and starts dancing down the street, and it's such an amazing shot, and and he's so good at it, um, and he's just. I love the fact that when he's singing, he actually sings sometimes two records. Um, a lot of time it's more like uh, lip sync, uh, but he's just having a blast listening to music. You know, yeah. um, one thing talking about him, and I don't mean for this to become a total um, tangent, but I think he would have made a really awesome Han Solo. Like, he just looks like a young Harrison Ford yeah. to me. And there were so many moments in this film well, where I'm like, oh, my God, he, he looks like a young Harrison Ford. Well, you know, you know he's a DJ, right? He's also a DJ, so that's why he's so good with music and stuff. Do you know what his DJ name is? What is his DJ name? On Solo. A-N Solo. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kind of soul. awesome. Yeah. I I've heard him sing before. Like um, I follow him on Instagram, and he uh, occasionally occasionally he'll post a video of him playing the piano and singing. And he has an incredible voice. Obviously, yeah. very musically talented, um, and not a not a bad looking guy either. So yeah. um, he's, I mean, just he's, just the jacket he wears throughout it's the kind film. Of Han Solo it, it is right? very. It looks like a Han Solo vest, even it though does. it's. It's a jacket. blue. It's like <laughs> yeah. a blue thing, but the sleeves are white, so it looks like he's wearing a vest the entire time. Yeah. So, yeah, I just yeah, I can uh, definitely definitely see that. He was in the running for it. Um, it ended up going to oh my gosh, we interviewed Alden him, Aaron Reich. That's right. I just didn't want to say his name because I think I butchered it on the podcast when we had that interview on. <laughs> but um, but um, who also, I, I mean, he's an incredible actor too, but when I look at him, I just see a young Leonardo DiCaprio, and I look at Ansel, and I see a young Harrison Ford. Um, <laughs> anyways, like I said, I didn't want to make it a tangent. It's just something I, I noted during the film and had to, to mention. Yeah. Um, so eye-rolling factor, one to five. Were you guys Another, rolling your eyes at all? No. I wasn't at all. Another zero. Another zero for me as well. Because, I mean, there's really no other film like this between, you know, the the car heists and the music syncing up to everything going on on screen. It's just, you're never rolling your eyes. You're always enthralled by what is happening. Exactly. You don't want the movie to end. Like, it's just, um, it's a really fun ride. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, I cracked myself up. All right, moving right along. Best best performance. I mean, I think it has to be Ansel. I don't. I don't yeah. know if. I mean, everyone was great in it, but Ansel is. I mean, yeah. Is the movie. Him, um, yeah. I would have to give it to him just because he is the face of the film. Um, Jamie Fox is in it, and he does a hilarious job as one of the um, one of the heist participants. Um, even John Hamm was good in it as well and but yeah yeah i mean i, I agree but i i love john ham i um he's he's really good in it um uh, it and uh but it, uh, the whole cast i mean kevin spacey's kevin spacey and he, he's he's perfect in his role um he's you know he's he's that guy that you instantly don't like because uh, he's you know he he's full of himself and he thinks he's smarter than everybody else which he might be, but um, see, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that. Like, I, I got Kevin Spacey as like, yeah, you kind of don't like him, and yeah, he does some shady stuff, but in his heart, 
I think he actually, you know, cares about Baby. And, like, he does yeah. some things in the film that show that. I agree. And so, like, I think he, he's able to play that, the, that dual role really well. Agreed. Um, I, I don't really think there was a, a bad performance in the bunch. I mean, there was... Obviously, I didn't like Jamie Foxx's character because he was a little bit of an a-hole. <laughs> but um, I, that was his character, and, and uh, Jamie Foxx did an amazing job in that role. Um, so I don't think there was a single bad performance in the film. No, yeah, I I agree. It's like, I I would have liked to see more of um, of John Bernthal. yeah. But, but I mean, when he was there, I loved him. So, and that's that's the same with everybody. Yeah, everybody in this cast is just just wonderful. And and uh, uh, Lily James is good as the as the girl that uh, Ansel falls in love with. Um, so it's just a it's an amazing film. Yeah, they had yeah. really good chemistry, the two of them, um, yeah. Ansel and Lily. That was um, re- they were really really good on camera together. Yeah, their their first meet is is really kind of magical. It is. Um, well, we actually get to talk about uh, what we did a little bit earlier, the ATL recognition factor here. Um, I, I mean, I feel like the only other thing that is even remotely comparable to it is Walking Dead, and that's a, like an apocalypse apocalyptic version of Atlanta. Yeah, um, I would say but, like, and not not just Walking Dead, but like Walking Dead season one. Yeah, season one. Yeah, because the pilot after, episode after or season, season two. Because yeah. like after they get out of they they get out of Atlanta, and while it's still filmed here, and like you can recognize some places, you know, right now it's D.C. and Virginia that it's right. taking place in. So I mean, Walking Dead season one was they go to Atlanta, and you see Atlanta and Georgia State. So, but, but this no, one, I this mean, one, this is this is full full fledged Atlanta. Yep, it it's is. Awesome. It is, and I really want to, um, I still really want to talk to someone at like Octane or Bacchnalia or even someone on the production side about how those, you know, the locations that were chosen or the businesses that were chosen, why they were chosen or how they were chosen or, you know, were they amongst a bunch of other brands or did Edgar Wright just really love Octane Coffee and Bacchnalia? (laughs) Like, why were these places picked? chosen probably a mix um, of both like i know he rewrote the script with an atlanta writer right when you know when they changed it over from los angeles to atlanta when he saw how much he loved the city and stuff so i'm sure that writer had a lot of influence and like okay these are the places you need to go and check out and then pick right. probably that's what i imagine he was what when it's, it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting to see um if this movie is a success, we think it will be. If more films will start to be set in Atlanta instead of being set in Pittsburgh or Chicago wherever. or and New York, because or, it would yeah. seem like first off, it would be easier. You don't have to do as much CGI stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you're going to shoot here. Why not place a film in Atlanta? It doesn't have to be in Los Angeles. As Edgar Rice just proven. Right. Yeah. No, what'll be really funny is when they shoot a movie in L.A. that's set in Atlanta and they have to make L.A. look like Atlanta. That'll be fun. That'll <laughs> that would be the be, day that we know that, Atlanta has made it. <laughs> yeah, that would be fascinating to see, like, oh, that is not Atlanta. <laughs> it's like, you got that wrong. <laughs> There's not mountains in Atlanta. I don't know why they're in this scene. Um, <laughs> 
So overall, one to five, uh, what do you guys give this? Ten. I mean, <laughs> this ten, is ten thousand. This is this is Multiple one of my atlases. favorites. One of my favorites of the year, and quite possibly, you know, like the decade. I mean, it is just a fantastic movie. I am definitely going to be going to see it again because there is just so much stuff that I know I missed the first time around. So I will be definitely seeing it again. Well, I, when I saw it at South by um, back in March, I told you guys that this was already one of my picks for film of the year. Um, so I just adore it. I completely agree. Um, it gets a full atlas for me. Um, one thing we, that we did have a, a listener mention, actually, that we should at some point um, start talking about our top films of the year since we're halfway through the year. Um, so we'll do that on an upcoming episode. But spoiler alert, Baby Driver is probably going to be in number one for all of us. <laughs> um, followed closely by Wonder Woman at number two, at least for me. But um, yeah. Well, I think you also, you also have to think about Get Out. I still um, need now, to see that. See, so, I, are we doing I, this? Are the, we doing this right now? <laughs> no, because I don't. I'd have to go back and look at other, other yeah. my films that I've seen this year. But uh, Get Out, actually, I would probably place it a little higher than Baby Driver. Really? And I'm, and yeah, and the reason is that um, the that film had to work a lot harder to make it make it work. It and and it does work totally. Uh, I mean, I I love Baby Driver, and I think it's an amazing movie, and I think all the performances are great, but I just think Get Out is a little more unique, and therefore it had to really work at making it succeed, and it did succeed. Well, we will talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Soon. Um, Yeah, we'll talk about that on an upcoming episode, because I need to put together um, my list, too, although I feel like it's going to be nowhere near as thorough as y'all's will be but yeah <laughs> it'll be a list that i will a have pretty solid <laughs> solid list of at least five that i that i know right now well we will totally do that on a upcoming episode but in the meantime um we do have a event next month monday uh, july 3rd at comic Co- or comic cosplay at comet pub and lanes and that will be Spider-Man Homecoming themed. And we're going to have a bunch of goodies, uh, Spider-Man goodies to give away at that. So if you like free stuff and swag, come on out. Um, again, you don't have to come in costume as Spider-Man, but we do encourage some form of cosplay. And if you can make it somehow related to Spider-Man, um, then you get to enter a contest and then you get more prizes. So, Or you can come out like me and not be in costume at all. Yeah. <laughs> Just wear, exactly. wear a shirt. Um, <laughs> shirts are highly encouraged. Shirts are encouraged. <laughs> Clothing is 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 definitely a plus. So please wear clothes. Um, uh, that being said, next week we will have our review of Spider-Man: Homecoming, uh, The Big Sick, and a ghost story, which I'm gonna have a really funny story to tell and share with that one Ooh. because it's it something ghost? I re- I is received it a in the mail. Ghostly story. That is a ghostly story. It's uh, it's pretty funny. I'm gonna post the video probably. Uh, I might hold it. I might hold it until after our podcast, just so people can see it at the same time that they hear hear us talk about it next week. But it's just it's it's awesome. Um, but anyways, we'll have all of that next week, and also um, some fun stories from July Fourth, hopefully. So <laughs> it should be fun. We're gonna have a good time. 
Uh, but that is it for this week. So thank you guys for joining us on the Atlas Podcast. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at Fanbolt.com. I am Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of Shakefire.com. And I'm Mike from last one to leave the theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And we'll catch you guys next week. Have a wonderful holiday and we'll see you then. And go see Baby Driver. Thank <laughs> you.